Welcome to the Not A Mommy Yet podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Fay. I started the Not A Mommy Yet blog and this podcast because I've always known I want to be a parent one day, and you might be listening because you feel the same. You may have also heard people with kids say things like, I wish I had known this before I had kids, or I wish I had done that. Hearing those comments made me think about the parts of my life I want to spend more time focusing on before I have kids in ways that will benefit me as a parent. So I started a list of people who can teach me about health, money, relationships, psychology, and more, and started interviewing them, and this podcast was born. Whether you plan to have kids or not, I think you'll find something interesting in this podcast for you. I hope you enjoy, subscribe, and maybe even share it with a friend. Thank you so much for listening. Today on the podcast, I am speaking with Melissa Buchan, a national board-certified integrative health and wellness coach and neo-fertility advisor. Over the past 15 years, Melissa has helped empower women to better understand their fertility and manage their reproductive health. She is the co-developer of Chart Neo, a medical management model app for secure cycle charting because she believes that navigating your menstrual cycle is a powerful daily practice that provides insight into managing and balancing your hormonal health. Medical literature states that a well-charted cycle is actually the fifth vital sign in women. Melissa helps her clients map their cycle for infertility evaluation, women's health assessment, or family planning, and evaluate their unique patterns to create a customized plan to optimize their healing journey. Melissa believes in a root cause, solution-based approach to dealing with infertility, PCOS, endometriosis, and hormonal imbalances. A balanced cycle is a sign of health and vitality, and Melissa's mission is to help her clients get there. Today, we are talking about how Melissa's personal experience led her down this career path, how we can empower women from a young age to understand external cues that can inform them about what is happening internally, how natural birth control and charting can help you cycle sync and biohack your cycle, how to manage stress, and Melissa shares some great advice for women as a mother and expert in this space. I really hope you enjoy this week's episode of Not A Mama Yet with Melissa Buchan. Hi, Melissa. Thank you so much for being here today on the Not A Mama Yet podcast. Hey, Natalie. So excited to be here. I am really excited about today's conversation. Yes, me too. I've been looking forward to it for a while. And... Um, yeah, looking at your just all of the services that you offer, your specialties, I think that we'll have plenty to talk about. Definitely um, natural birth control is a topic that I want to get into with you today. Um, but first, I'd love to hear how you got into this space because you're definitely serving um, a lot of areas that women really, I think, are lacking in education as we grow up. And then we have to kind of self-teach or find people like yourself to teach us these things once we're adults and we're in desperate need of help and guidance. Um, so yeah, how did you get into the space first? For all of the reasons that you just outlined, Natalie, I have to say that one of the most common responses I get from women when I start working with them um, is the comment, why haven't I heard of this before? And it's usually one that's almost a little bit resentful, a little bit angry, a little bit guilty because they are so amazed with what they're learning, but really angry that nobody told them before. Um, So it goes back to, I was 16 years old. Um, My story kind of started with, I was traveling abroad for a summer as a foreign exchange student uh, visiting France and I felt awful, Uh, just incredible fatigue and this massive back pain. I actually thought I had a kidney infection and I was trying to navigate this foreign country, this foreign healthcare system, trying to get help. Lo and behold, I started my period. It wasn't a kidney infection. It was massive premenstrual cramping. So intense. I didn't recognize it as such. Ruined the sheets of the host family I was staying with, absolutely mortified. It was a horrible experience. So as soon as I got back to the States, my mom was like, okay, we got to figure out what's going on. Took me to the doctor. Our question was, why is she so tired all the time? Why have her cycles not regulated? And why are they so painful? I didn't get an answer to any of those things. I was just simply told, well, start the birth control pill. And if you ever want to get pregnant, IVF is probably your best option. 
I was 16 at the time. Like having children was nowhere in my thought process. I just wanted to feel better. So I did what I thought was the responsible, healthy thing. And I started taking the pill. And now while my symptoms did subside a little bit, the pain went away. Of course, my cycles got regular and I use regular in air quotes, which your listeners can't see me um, doing because I wasn't actually having a period. You know, the, the, hormonal birth control pill stops the communication between the ovarian, uh, between your ovaries and your pituitary, that ovarian pituitary connection. So you just kind of have a withdrawal bleed when you stop taking the pill. Um, so I felt a little better, did not touch my fatigue and I had a lot of weight gain. I still felt pretty miserable. So transition into college where um, I got a degree in biology. So I'm studying biology. I'm doing all the things in my power to help myself feel better. I'm eating well, I'm exercising regularly, and I'm, I'm taking the pill. And what I later learned is I was kind of like working against my best efforts. So I remember one day sitting in my anatomy and physiology course, and the professor was lecturing on the mechanisms of birth control. We were actually studying the female reproductive system. And I learned that the pill just kind of flatlines your system. It's really the only time in modern medicine where we take what should be a normally functioning biological system and we turn it off. And that was a big aha moment for me. I went back to my college apartment. I threw the pack of pills away and I started looking for answers. I was connected with a physician who practices restorative reproductive medicine and was able to get a proper diagnosis. And that really was a transformational experience. I started charting my cycle and I started making lifestyle changes to where now at the age of 40, my cycles are so beautiful. They're so regular. I know exactly when I ovulate. Where back in my 20s, I mean, and this took years, this was, you know, years and years of work. In my 20s, I would have maybe two to three cycles a year when I would when I stopped the birth control pill. So that was a long, that long answer to your simple question. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's the story of like so many, you know, of people who just struggle through it and aren't getting the answers that they need. And then, you know, and I, and kind of like a moment of desperation, they're offered this pill that, you know, they think is going to help them and they take it because it's, first of all, it's much easier, right. Than to take years and years to try and understand all of this and do all this. But we, if we were taught at a younger age, then it wouldn't be this whole learning steep learning curve that we'd have to navigate. But yeah, I mean, that's what I did. I went on the pill when I was 17 for skin issues. And then I was on it for 10 years. And then I read the book, the woman code by Lisa Vitti, um, in 2017. And I went off of the pill immediately, um, and have been charting my cycles and tracking the phases of my cycle ever since. And I wouldn't say they're perfect, but they're definitely predictable now. And I don't get any pain until middle of day one of my period now, which is a huge improvement to like two, three days before my period starts. So it's like, just been like every cycle I feel like is an improvement, which is amazing, but we all have to like get there at our own pace kind of, and then figure it out how to best make it work for us. Um, but you know, I sent the book, The Woman Code, when I read it to my high school, because I was like, I went to an all girls high school. Why didn't I learn this stuff in health class? Why was I learning about the effects of like LSD on my brain? Why wasn't I learning about like my period and how wow. my body? I just have to say, wow, you're a change maker. And that's incredible. And I've never really heard that correlation, but you're right. Like how many teens are actually using LSD versus the birth control pill and the damage that it's causing these young women. So I wouldn't even know where you. to get LSD. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's crazy. So I get like that. That's just kind of traditional health class topics, but it should change. Um, so anyway, um, it was just like a big aha moment for me too. And that's why I was so excited to talk to you because natural birth control, when I tell people I'm married, but like, when I tell people I'm not on birth control, they're just like, what? Like, how yeah. do you sleep for great night? conversations? Doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. They're like, how do you literally sleep at night? And I just, you know, I just know when my body's doing certain things, I don't have it down to a science yet, but like, I'm hopefully getting there. So First, I'd love for you to explain to people like what natural natural birth control is for people who don't know, and then maybe compare it to some examples of hormonal birth control that we're all pretty 
familiar with, I would say. Yeah. Oh, this is a great question. And and you're right. Like I've had those conversations where people are like, wait, you, you're not on the pill. Like you just kind of start your cycle. I'm like, yeah, I do. And I've been doing it for a long time and I teach other women how to do it. I'm certified. So for me, it is down to a science and I have the utmost confidence in it. So we have to start with the premise that women are not always fertile. So when we talk about a man's fertility and a woman's fertility, guys are always fertile. They start producing sperm when they hit puberty about the age of, you know, 14. And then they produce sperm for the rest of their life. I would say like, they're always ready to go. If they were to chart, it would be fertility every single day. Women, however, we, we ebb and flow through cycles of fertility and infertility. So the majority of a woman's cycle, if we're looking at a 28 day cycle, a woman's only fertile for about six to eight days at most. And when I say the 28-day cycle, only about 13% of women experience a classic 28-day cycle with consistency. A woman's cycle is regularly irregular. And this is where women can start scratching their head. And I'm going to go back to a, a comment you made earlier when you said so many women are kind of routinely put on the pill by doctors because it's easy. That's correct. It's easy. And a lot of times physicians don't think that women have what it takes to chart their cycle. But being in this space for over 16, almost 17 years now, it's exactly what women want. They want to know their bodies and they have every capability to be able to navigate it. So we look at what the phases of the cycle are. You know, we've got the, the menstrual phase, the follicular phase, the ovulatory phase, and the luteal phase. And then how that translates to when you are opening your fertile window and closing your fertile window. Uh, you have to understand, you know, the variability within the follicular phase versus the consistency of the luteal phase. So there's a lot of science. I mean, I could probably talk for the next two hours just giving the, the logistics of it. And I don't think that's probably what the, the central theme of today's conversation is. But just know that, that with a little bit of training and support, you can navigate your menstrual cycle with precision, even with irregular cycles. I'm a woman who struggles with PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. So while my cycles are regular, they're regularly irregular, meaning they're not always 28 days. Sometimes they may be 42 days, but within that time frame, I'm always know when I'm ovulating. And so I can then make my family planning choices based on what, whether on any given day, I am identifying that as a day of potential fertility or infertility. And the great thing about this is the communication that it offers between a couple. Like if your guy knows where you are in your cycle, like he, he's not a cyclical creature. And so, you know, he knows when to show up with a bottle of wine and some roses and some chocolate or maybe some chocolate and some Motrin. And so he can really, and you know, he may not take such offense to you um, being a little bit on the uh, snarky side if, you know, he recognizes you're in the days leading up to your period and there's just a lot of hormonal shifts going on. And then as far as family planning, there are a lot of great tools on, on the market today that just make it really easy. I mean, there's anything from like the kind of like old school paper charting to apps, then to adding in um, different types of fertility monitors or, or different biomarkers to confirm the ovulation has passed. So it's really about like understanding what your investment in time and money is into this process and how much data you want. Um, the women I work with, they always get super excited about the data. And so they're willing to invest a little bit in, in some good tools that will provide this nice um, kind of biofeedback of the biomarkers. And I find when the guys get on board, that makes it a lot of fun. When a guy knows how to read his lady's chart, it's, it's really incredible um, about the just the, the type of communication. It really does make, um, I think, the overall intimate relationship a lot more dynamic. Um, it is what I will say that is rooted in a little bit more self-discipline, but I have a mantra in life that I follow and it's, there are no shortcuts to any place worth living when we're, we're, we're to any place worth going. When we're trying to live at our optimal health and wellness journey, we are thinking about the food that we're putting into our body. We're thinking about the type of exercise that we're doing. We're thinking about our sleep schedules. So why not think about how our, our fertility or our menstrual cycle goes into that as well? A well-charted cycle is a fifth vital sign. So grateful for family planning, but not just for like when to have sex or when to, you know, have kids or not have kids. It really brings a whole like another dimension to your communication as a couple, um, you know, to like changing libido in a woman to just 
energy levels to how your, your guy can better serve you when you're kind of struggling in your cycle. And that makes her a really rock solid relationship. Absolutely. I can definitely see how that would. And, um, I love, I think on your website, it says that on any given day, a woman can know exactly what's going on internally due to simple external observation. And that's just, it's almost like, it's almost like meditation, like, and mindfulness, right? Like you're just, you're being present with your body. You're not just letting the days go by and not checking in with yourself, which I think is just so important. Even if they're just small little check-ins, like when you're going to the bathroom, like you're already there, like, you know, like just check in with yourself and you can see what's going on. But, um, so I think some people might feel that, um, I've talked to some women before about this, that if you do this natural birth control, um, and you chart your cycle and you don't get pregnant, which is what's supposed to happen, right? If you're not trying, then you might be infertile. It's like just something that women feel like, oh, I've had sex without condoms so many times and I've never gotten pregnant. Maybe I'm infertile. But as you said, we're not always fertile anyway to begin with. But I know that one of your specialties is fertility and infertility and talking to women about that and helping them understand where they are. So you know, and I've talked to some doctors who said like, ideally like a 20 year old would come in here and get a baseline and like figure out where they are and like all this stuff. But usually it's like someone who's 35, who's now deciding that they want to have kids. And so it's harder to understand their options and maybe make choices. But what, what do you say to your patients and first helping them understand fertility in general, but then also helping them understand their own fertility, I'd say. Yeah, this is a great question. So the approach I take to teaching cycle charting, um, it follows a medical management model. So we are actually creating a very powerful diagnostic tool. So regardless of the intention of charting, whether it be to avoid pregnancy or to achieve a pregnancy, we are getting the same data. Mm-hmm. It usually takes about three cycles of well-charted data before we can start reading the data with, with any reliability. But once we have that data, we can definitely look at any potential fertility red flags. So there there are, again, we never use the chart to diagnose, but it definitely points us in the direction of what the client can investigate. So we're looking at different parameters to say, yeah, there might be an issue with fertility here. And for me, as as a board certified health and wellness coach, then I'm going to help my client focus on lifestyle factors because you can do so much to improve and optimize fertility with some simple... Um, lifestyle alterations. So we will focus on lifestyles that optimizes fertility. So maybe they are 20, they have that baseline through their charting. We may see some red flags and we can work to resolve those through health and lifestyle so that maybe when they hit the end of their twenties or early thirties and they're ready to start achieving a pregnancy, they've set the stage for success. They're really building up their body to have the best chances at a pregnancy. And if there are any really big red flags, then I always recommend uh, women to doctors who take a restorative approach. So they're not really looking at invasive ways to just get a woman pregnant. They're really at working at restoring the body at a functional level so that her body can do what it's made to do, which is to naturally conceive and carry a pregnancy uh, to term. So yeah, regardless of what the intention is, uh, that that well-charted cycle really lays out the framework and that's the language which all of the conversations um, revolve around. And I love what you said about how it can be, um, you know, like almost meditation. I always say charting your cycle is a daily empowerment practice. It re- once you start doing it and incorporate it into your activity of daily living, like women can't imagine not collecting this data. It's so simple. And the amount of data that it gives you about yourself is really quite phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you have a program on your website that women can join, right? To, to learn how to do all this and work with you in charting their cycle. Yeah, I do. It's called chart your cycle. Uh, We have kind of three different levels depending on the support that you're needing. Um, We teach women how to, to chart their cycle. So they will work through a foundations course that gives all of the basics of cycle charting, provide the app that uh, you need to use. And we will suggest different tools according to what your specific intentions, goals, and, and really commitment is. Some women, again, like all the data, some women, they want to keep it as simple as possible. So we really tailor and customize the approach to, to your needs. Um, we have group coaching programs. We have one-on-one coaching programs. And we, again, work on building that, that foundational chart 
And then we incorporate uh, health and wellness coaching so that you can optimize your lifestyle choices. That's amazing. Um, I know I'm sure that helps so many people. (laughs) I mean, I love that you do the lifestyle changes and it's not invasive because as we know, like a lot of those invasive choices, I guess, or techniques are just band-aids. They're not actually fixing anything. Um, And that was the issue with birth control. Like I went on it for skin. It didn't even help my skin really. When I went off of it, my skin got better. Um, And I know I've heard one OB say, you know, women with endometriosis, we recommend going on birth control. And then when they get off, get pregnant within three months going off and then they're pregnant and then immediately go back on birth control to monitor like the scarring in the uterus and all. It's just, it doesn't feel like it's fixing anything. So I do want to get into PCOS and endometriosis because I know a lot of women who struggle with it. I thought I had PCOS because of my skin issues that I have. Um, that was really kind of the only indicator as to why I thought maybe there was something off. And my OB was like, do you get a period once a month? And I said, yes. And she said, you don't have PCOS and just like, didn't. And I was like, listen, I would like to get a blood test at the very least. If you're not going to give me the, uh, like the ultrasound exam, like I just want at least that and just for peace of mind, you know, whatever, but we really do have to advocate ourselves and figure out how to, you know, get answers. So With PCOS and endometriosis, I think it's very daunting to not have something so set in stone to like know exactly, I feel like you can't really pinpoint PCOS, right? Because it's a collection of all these different symptoms that can manifest in different ways in different women. So how do you, like you said, it takes probably three cycles to maybe start figuring this out. So how do you help um, patients figure out if they might have PCOS or endometriosis and then and then changes that you can help them navigate to manage those? Yeah, these are all great questions. And you're absolutely right. The need for self-advocacy is so very important. So if somebody's coming to me and they're, they're starting out where they really don't know what's going on, we'll start charting their cycle. And again, I, I as, a, as a health coach, don't diagnose. So if we're suspecting something like endometriosis, where it's really um, inhibiting their daily life, or um, I'm seeing red flags for PCOS, I'm going to refer them to a physician who again takes this restorative approach, who isn't just going to put that Band-Aid solution of the pill on them, but really um, do an in-depth hormonal power panel. However, you know, with, with the kind of advent of all of these at-home testings, this is something that I will be incorporating into my program within the next probably six months or so, where we are going to be able to advocate for women to do all of their testing um, at home if they want to, um, because a lot of doctors, they, they just won't do these, these in-depth panels unless somebody's trying to get pregnant, which is sad and unfortunate. So with, with the PCOS chart, the PCOS chart is, is very, very characteristic. So even though I don't diagnose, I can like pick out a PCOS chart pretty, pretty easily. Um, endometriosis tends to be a little bit of a, of a silent um, enigma. It can present itself with a variety of symptoms, or maybe it's silent and infertility is the only issue. Women can have regular cycles or irregular cycles. The comorbidity between PCOS and endometriosis is actually quite high. So a lot of factors um, to take into account. Now with PCOS and endometriosis, I always say there's not a one-size-fits-all approach or diet or plan. Now there are some basic principles that we're going to follow with every woman who is struggling with these metabolic issues. Uh, PCOS for sure is a metabolic issue. Um, endometriosis, you know, the, the cause of it is really not quite known. Again, it's, I like to call it an enigma. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have some basic principles of living an anti-inflammatory lifestyle, but an anti-inflammatory lifestyle is going to look different for each individual woman. So I like to really do a thorough metabolic assessment. We're looking into, you know, what are the right foods for them? Um, ruling out any type of food sensitivities, because you may be eating something that you think is healthy, but it's actually very unhealthy and causing underlying inflammation in your body. So you're actually working against yourself. And this is, I think, something that we just see more and more in today's modern society with all of the environmental toxins and chemicals. For those of us who have a a metabolically sensitive composition, 
we respond to those external factors and it's it's causing kind of an increase in these food sensitivities that were historically, you know, this has been a food that's not been an issue. So we're going to address that. We're also going to look at the uh, gut microbiome connection, um, investigate that. So just really an overall kind of health profile so that we can pinpoint the areas um, of improvement that, that can be made. But as a general kind of guideline, we're always looking at sleep quality. First and foremost, the foundational approach is sleep. And this is something that I think a lot of women, especially in today's go-go culture, that they're not willing to give enough attention to. But if your body is deprived of the sleep it needs, the whole hormonal cascade is going to be off and you're really going to struggle with healing and restoring balance. The next is nutrition. And when I talk about nutrition, I've already mentioned there's not a one size fits all. It's what is your bio-individual needs? So eating for your needs. For example, my husband and I eat like on opposite ends of the spectrum. I've learned to, to cook so that, you know, we've got foods available, but if I ate like he did, I would be so very sick. He just needs a different type of macronutrient composition on his plate than I do. Mm -hmm. I recognize that. Uh, next to nutrition, we're looking at body movement, and especially for women who have um, a metabolic dysfunction, we have to really be very mindful about what exercise and body movement looks like. Over-exercising is a real issue for women, and so we have to be mindful of that, serving the needs of your body without over or underdoing it, so it's a fine balance. And then we're also looking at stress reduction through mindful awareness practices, mindfulness, and then supplementation as well, which is key. And that again, looks different for, for every woman. So a very individualized program, we have some basic foundational approaches, but each one of those pillars, we are customizing to the woman's unique needs so that she can, again, restore her health. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that all sounds, it's very holistic, which I love and definitely learning about um, like moving my body based on my cycle has been game changing. Um, learning that I'm not like, you know, working against myself in my efforts to like, you know, be active and knowing when to be active and how to be active at different phases and all of that. And then I love that it's just this holistic approach that you can definitely, you know, I, I would say see changes very quickly, like once you're starting to kind of understand each one individually and then how they all come together. But yeah, eating differently than my husband, that's like a whole nother story. <laughs> I totally understand and, that. And there's psychology in that as well. Like the psychology yeah. of it is that that's just a monster to tackle in and of itself. So not only like what you eat is important. Like I always say nutrition and sleep, those are the two things that move the needle the farthest, the quickest. Mm -hmm. But then we have to look at like, well, we're humans and we interact with other humans. And so what does that mean for our relationship and our relationship with food? It gets very, very complicated. Oh, and so that's yeah. why it's so important to, to have somebody to journey along uh, this, this um, goal with you so that you have the proper support that you can lean on somebody as a sounding board. You can get those proper resources. Well, yeah, I mean, to figure out which food sensitivities you have, that, I mean, that alone, you definitely need someone like you to help figure that out. You know, it's hard to, I mean, you can definitely tap in like, okay, how do I feel after eating that? But you still don't know maybe what's going on like deep behind the scenes in your body, you know? And that is, I mean, that's been like with all, with my skin issues and just going off the pill and stuff that has probably been by far the most frustrating real like moments of realization when I've been doing something that I thought was helping myself that was hurting myself. That's like, it's so frustrating when you put in a lot of time, effort and money into this, you know, you, I think working with someone like you as early on as possible really sets you up for success. So you kind of avoid those moments of frustration and like disappointment and just like let down and just like, you know, you want to, you want really want to set yourself up for success with this stuff. And, um, yeah, I think that that's really important to know. But the question I had for you about at-home tests was I took a modern fertility test when I was still on birth control. And I think this was like early on in their company. So I know that they've evolved at this point, right? It's, it's very different now, I'm sure. But um, they made it clear that I could take this fertility test while still on birth control and it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't affect the results. And when I got the results back, it was like, you have as many eggs as someone who's like 15 years older than you, like you're, you know, this isn't looking great. And it was really 
disheartening. So I, and then at this, it was simultaneous to me wanting to go off birth control. So I went off and then I went and saw a fertility specialist and my results were totally different. And I just want with, with at-home tests, you know, of course, when they're guided and recommended by some by a professional, this is a different story than me just going onto modern fertility and getting this myself. But how do you help people understand kind of when, if they are going rogue and doing this on their own, like I did, like kind of what to look out for. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And there's so many, I don't know if I can give a, a really concrete answer to that. Yeah. There are so many <laughs> testing options available, which is great. Like, it's really great to see that, uh, that the consumer has the choice and the power to be able to get this information without going to a doctor and getting, you know, a, a script for, for these um, for these tests. However, we do have to kind of tread with caution of what is the right test. So, um, I do work from like a curated list of, of recommended tests that I recommend for my clients to use. I think that's a really important starting point. However, if somebody does come to me and they have tests, I'm always willing to look at it. I just say I'm probably not trained to read the tests that, that you're providing me. And I don't know like what their, their base line lab ranges are. Right. So I'll, I'll give it my best shot. Um, I'm not really familiar with the tests that you use. I've heard of it a lot. They have beautiful marketing. I don't know a lot about that, but just, you know, the, the, the logical thought process of, I can be on the pill and test my fertility that, that really doesn't make sense. If we know yeah. what, what a cycle looks like when you're on the pill. And again, you can't see my hands, but it's like a flat line, right? So a mm-hmm. flat line of all of your hormones, they just basically bottom out at a baseline and you've got these synthetic hormones kind of playing this little symphony in, in your brain to, to, to keep everything quiet. Um, and then when you're naturally psyching, cycling, it's a, a completely different symphony. It's a roller coaster of, of hormones that are ebbing and flowing. And, and so that tells a completely different story. So I think this like really circles back to what you were starting with of, you know, you sent the, the woman code, which I have right behind me on my bookshelf to, to your high school saying women need, uh, need to, to know this information. And it really, Natalie, it's women like you who are going to be the change makers, uh, schools and, and community organizations. They need to hear this, that women do want to know this information. This is not a taboo topic. And so we have to get the information to them at a, at a young age. I really am on a mission to make every woman know how their cycles work, like the back of their hand, so that they can engage in these well-informed conversations with people. They can, you know, know what tests to take. Um, so really, I think it's kind of like the chicken and the egg, which came first. I think we have to first educate women so then they can make the best choices for them at what at-home test is best for them. Or they can work with somebody like me, you know, who who has this curated list of, of well-vetted tests that, that we pick and pull from to make sure that women are getting the accurate data that they need. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I think of like, if I have a daughter, she's going to know so much about her period. I've seen on Instagram things starting to pop up now, like women talking to their toddlers about periods, of course, at an age appropriate like way. And then as they get older, you know, the conversation evolves. So then by the time they are getting their period, they're super well-versed in understanding of what's going on in their bodies. But, you know, I like to tell people that when I have a daughter, I have no intention of putting her on hormonal birth control, you know, unless there's some real reason that that would be necessary. But my goal is to hopefully teach her about her cycle, having those age appropriate conversations as she gets older. So when the point, when the time comes and she's getting her period, she can start charting her cycle right away learning about her body, monitoring those external cues about what's going on internally and really empowering her to, to know exactly when it is that she's ovulating and know exactly when it is that um, her period might be coming, but really empowering her to make those decisions for herself. And, and if she decides that hormonal birth control is, is the appropriate route for her, then that'll be her choice. Um, but it is something that kind of catches people off guard because you know, we're just so used to having parents wanting their daughters on birth control once they become sexually active. Um, But I really hope that through this conversation and through, you know, more education going around about charting your cycle and understanding what's happening inside of our bodies and knowing that we're not fertile every day of the month, uh, we'll we'll start to change those perspectives um, and those opinions on ways to manage um, fertility. We're in, in, a, in a time where we're all about women empowerment and I, the pill has done a lot to, to, 
to suppress a woman, the individual woman and living out her like true hormonal self. And, you know, it it is countercultural, this idea that you're going to raise a girl and you're going to empower her to know her body so that she can advocate for herself and so that she knows what her body's capable of. And I think this is very powerful. I have a 16 year old daughter uh, and I, we started the conversation at a very early age. And we say, we're starting the conversation now, but it's never ending. And any question you have, you can come to us and ask. And I have two young boys and they, you know, if my daughter's menstruating or complaining of cramps, they'll go make her a cup of tea. I'm like, wow, my boys are going to make incredible husbands someday. There's just like this natural empathy from the language and the conversation that we've created in our, in our household. And so I really think it's also empowering for women, like if they know their body and they're not taking this pill to suppress it, but they're knowing what their body is capable of at any given time in their cycle, that makes them make very well-informed choices about what they're doing with their body and when they're doing it. And I, that's just, I think we're going to see women and young girls confidence skyrocket when they're able to take full autonomy of their reproductive choices. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, as a parent, how has it been to navigate, you know, kind of, like you said, you know, she knows a lot and you have these conversations with her, but how has it been for you? And like, what wisdom do you want to impart on the people who don't have children yet, I guess, and navigating these subjects with their children? Because, you know, sex and having kids and all this stuff, it can be very, very tricky to try and navigate. My husband has a 14 year old and he has conversations probably like quarterly or like twice a year, at least, you know, just talking about all this stuff. And he does, and he's a doctor. So he does talk about periods and women and their what's going on in their bodies too. So his kid kind of gets it, but it's been like tricky. It's not easy, even if you learn about it and it's your job. So like kind of what has worked for you and what advice do you have for people who are figuring all that out? Such a powerful, powerful question. And and kudos to your husband. I think the important part is that you do just make yourself available and you talk at a language where I'm all about using proper body terms, but talking at a language that meets them where they are developmentally. And a lot of times it's letting them come to you with questions and only answering what they're asking. And you'll have, you'll have children who have varying levels of curiosity. Some kids want to know all the facts and some kids are just happy with what you give them. But knowing that you are the the provider of the information, somebody told me um, when I was first having children, and I really took this to heart, and so I'll pass it on to you, is that if you are the provider of information to your child, like you're the, the initial source of the information, you become the expert on that. And in the area of human sexuality, that's very important because we get a lot of different messaging in the world. It's very confusing. A lot of it can be conflicting with what we personally maybe ascribe to. And so we have to keep that in mind that if we can lay down the foundational truth of this is what your body is, this is how it works, then then you become the expert in that. And they know that they can have confidence in coming to you for these questions versus, oh, you know, my mom doesn't know anything about that. She won't she won't be able to, to help me with, with this, that, yeah. or the other. So just knowing that they can come to you and, and they may ask questions. If they have the courage to ask an uncomfortable question, then be willing to answer that at, at the level that, that you're comfortable with. And, you know, our kids always say kids have a way of stretching us beyond our comfort zone. And so I just want to encourage uh, parents to be able to lean into that and to learn and grow with your child. For a lot of women, they may not know this information. They may have been like when you started out on your journey and when I started out on my journey where we started on the pill, we weren't educated and we never, maybe they didn't lean into that curiosity or they just didn't have the resources. So they may be learning alongside their child and that's okay too. That can be a really beautiful learning opportunity, very humbling experience for sure. Um, I work with a lot of women, a lot of women who they started the pill when they were 16, just like me, but they never got off. And while we don't see a lot of correlation in the medical literature um, between early onset use, prolonged use of the birth control pill and infertility, my speculation is that there isn't money being thrown into this type of research because I don't, I'm not going to get on my soapbox, but big pharma is heavily invested in the monetary gain of hormonal birth control. Um, but I see it again and again. Like I've got the, the clinical data in my small subset of, of clients that I work with that yeah. the longer that you've been on the pill, when you start at a young age, um, fertility is really hard to return as you get um, older in life, especially for women who are starting their families, you know, mid thirties and later, it really is a painful struggle for them. 
Yeah, definitely. Oh God, that must be so heartbreaking. Cause that really is like just an example of a way sometimes, you know, Western medicine can really fail us. Um, but you know, even if we thought we were helping ourselves and everything, and the doctor I'm sure thinks they're helping us too. And it's not malicious. It's just, it is what it is. It is what it is. Um, wow. Yeah. I feel like we could talk for hours about all this stuff, but, um, (laughs) I do want to get into kind of the final questions that I love to ask everyone. Um, you kind of, um, said one of them, but the first question is, you know, what is the mantra that you like to live by? Um, and kind of, you know, every day say to yourself and follow. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll repeat it. It's, it's, (laughs) I, I remember hearing this, I think I was in my, um, like late teens or no early, early teens, like maybe early high school. And I posted it on the refrigerator and I took it off and I took it to college with me and it's, there are no shortcuts, um, to any place worth going in life. And I think this really, um, works nicely with the charting lifestyle, living a charting lifestyle by all means is not the easy way out. You could easily, like you said, pop a pill. Um, but it is a lifestyle worth living. It's this daily empowerment process that really opens up your eyes to what's going on in your body. It really allows you to listen to your body at a deep and intimate level. Again, that doesn't just apply to our sexuality. It applies to our energy, to our overall wellness, to, to goals that we set for ourselves, to the ability to cycle, think, and biohack so that you can live as an authentic woman. Uh, women are not tiny men. We're not meant to go, go, go all the time every day. We have these ebbs and flows of really dynamic changing energy. We can be very intuitive or very laser laser focused, or sometimes we just really need to to retreat into ourselves and rest. And and those are all okay. It doesn't mean that you're a failure in any given day of your cycle. But for women who don't know how to lean into this, it's confusing because they can say, last week I was on my A game and at the top of the world. And today I really just need a cup of tea and my favorite book and a blanket. And that's okay. You're nourishing your mind. You're nourishing your soul. Take that time for yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. Learning that changes everything when you know that like on your period, you're supposed like sleeping is literally better than working out for your body, Mm -hmm. you know, relaxing and nourishing yourself. And, and I think recognizing that, like you're saying, while it can be confusing, if you, if you do those things and you're, and you're sitting down and reading a book and doing those things and you're serving yourself, even if you're confused by it, you're, you're, you're still intuitive. So I feel like you're still doing great. Like, you know, you're still at least Mm -hmm. doing the thing that you feel like is the right thing to do in that moment. And that's that's all. Yeah. It's about listening to your body and your body will tell you. Yeah. And I have a perfect example of this. Um, you know, like I'm in my late luteal phase where, you know, restorative yoga is probably the best thing I could do. But my premenstrual tension was so high last night that I told my husband, I'm like, I'll see you in an hour. And I grabbed my boxing gloves and I went to a kickboxing class and I just beat the heck out of a punching bag. And I came home and I was able to be nice to everybody in my household. I just (laughs) needed to really release that tension. Um, And so it's like counterintuitive when we look at like cycle thinking and working out, but I knew it's what my body needed. I was able to sleep like a rock star last night and I felt so much better today. So yeah, that never, never, never doubt your intuition. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, we didn't really touch on stress management, but that is a question I have always, because like, for example, I never, I wouldn't consider myself an anxious person, but I do things. I have like ticks and stuff that I'm starting to notice that are the way I release anxiety. Apparently didn't know. Cause it wasn't like an internal feeling that I, that I thought that's what anxiety was. Um, like, you know, before you go to a party, like a little bit of social anxiety, I thought that's how anxiety should always feel, but I'm learning and that's not true. Um, so how do you help people manage their stress or like learn about stress, I guess, in a way where they can then be like, Oh, this is stress or like, Oh, this is triggering me right now. Because I mean, we all have to go to work and like, we all have to do these things that could be stress inducing. So it's really about managing it. And when you learn about it and it's like, Oh, cortisol can just like skyrocket and your age and dog years and all these, it's like so scary because you can't feel it sometimes. So it's like, how do you, how can you manage something you're not feeling, you know? 
Yeah. And that's so important. I mean, yeah, anxiety. I mean, I think that we could study anxiety like for the rest of our lives and still be learning. It's such a complex thing. And I think it manifests itself very uniquely in each individual person. So first of all, it's that, that listening to your body, really taking the time every day, taking time every day, say it again, (laughs) to check, to check in with yourself, to quiet the mind. This is your meditation or prayer or mindful awareness. It is so important to carve out time each day to be able to just listen to yourself. And if you can do that with consistency, again, the practice doesn't have to look perfect. It doesn't have to be at the same time every day, but setting up a regular habit of checking in with yourself so that you can recognize if you are experiencing a tick or that mm-hmm. butterfly feeling in your stomach or a built up tension or or just diffuse this sort feeling that everybody, you know, is setting you off. So again, it manifests differently in everybody, but the overall principle of how we manage it is the same. And that's really taking time to check in with yourself. This takes practice. It's not easy. And so, you know, we've got guru meditators who maybe spend 30 minutes to an hour, but I think for the average person, this looks like a one to a three minute practice. And I'm all about equipping women with tools to make it as easy as, as possible. So I'm all about recommending meditation apps, have something that's tangible so that you don't have to read a book on it. You don't have to learn the basics. Somebody can guide you through the process so that you can calm your autonomic nervous system and check in and listen with your body. Um, this all sounds easy, but having a regular uh, meditation or mindful awareness or a prayer practice it's, it's not easy. It's not. And the only thing you can do for yourself is show up and be present and say, I'm here for it. I'm here for it with no expectation. You know, we can control our academic prowess or, you know, our physical goals. We can attain those, but when it comes to really being able to listen to, to who we are, all we can do is show up and say, I'm here. What do you have to tell me? Yes, absolutely. The second question is, um, we all know it takes a village to raise kids. So what have you valued most in your community who's helped you raise your kids? Oh, that is a good question. It does take a village. And when I started out on this journey, um, I was young and my husband and I had just graduated. We were in a college town where um, a lot of friends were graduating and moving on. And so it was it was difficult to find a village. So I, my initial village was a group of, of similar aged moms who were, who were having uh, babies while either they or their husbands were finishing graduate school. And um, we didn't have any family nearby. And so we created our village mm-hmm. without having family. And now my village looks like um, I have, you know, the three kids, uh, two teens and a, and an 11 year old. I don't know if that's called a tween or what, what the, <laughs> what the proper term is, but they're busy. They've got a lot going on. Yeah. Um, and so I am so thankful that we actually have family now. So our village is we, we have family. We, we connect with, with friends and, you know, those carpools, but having family nearby when I didn't for so long, when I was first building my family, I have a huge value on it. I'm so, so very thankful. I was a person who I couldn't wait to, to move far, far away when I graduated high school. And I'm still far away from my family, but so thankful for having um, the tribe of my f- husband's family nearby. It's just, it's, it, it's like none other, but I know that we can't always have our, our immediate family. And so building the family, it, I've heard, I think the old adage of like the best type of family is the family you create. So if mm-hmm. you can have friends or, or support groups that can fill that familial role, I think that's helpful. Um, we live in a time that it, it's just very isolating. It's very easy. I live in uh, suburbia of a metroplex and people are always busy. It's very easy to just kind of get in your own bubble and yeah. not interact at a deep authentic level with people. Think it's a struggle of living in in these modern times so connecting with people and then never being afraid to pay for help as well so when you have a family or you're raising a family you're having babies sometimes you just got to pay got to pay to have somebody come and sit with that sleeping baby or to babysit and i think there's huge value in that as well so being able to set aside resources so that you have that flexibility um, i've seen so many moms who they're just drained to their core because they think they have to do it all and just because you can do it all doesn't mean that you should or that it's a healthy balance. So getting creative with resources, whether it be your friend unit, your family unit, or paid help. Yes, that's such good advice. I think it is definitely a struggle now. Even like I moved to New York three, 
five years ago now. Um, and I loved the opportunity to build my chosen family there um, on my own terms. And like, some, that's something that I hadn't really done in college. I sort of did it, but I went to college with my best friends. So it was just kind of like a built-in, you know, everything, it was great, but it was just different. And um, now I'm back at home, I'm near my family and I'm like craving that again, the opportunity to go and like build that. And my mom keeps telling me, oh my God, once you have kids, the whole new community of people is gonna come in. Like you're not, like all these people that you're gonna meet through that experience, um, you know, and, and I look forward to that. I'm excited to like find, like, continue to build, I guess, on the community that I do have, but also find those new relationships that are for different phases of my life, but like, you know, have meaning, but I can imagine it's not easy either way. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's the whole journey of parenthood is that, you know, it, I don't think anything about parenthood is easy, but it's always worth it. That comes back to my mantra. There are no shortcuts yeah. to any place worth growing. Um, you learn to die to yourself and to, to sacrifice when you have children, but oh my gosh, I, I can't imagine not doing it. The joy and the love. And I know I'm sure that you've interviewed plenty of people who say, you know, once you have a child, you learn this whole new way to love. And, and that's so true with each child that you have, you just, they're just this unique person. And so you're willing to go to the ends of the earth for them. And that's where they bring us out of their comfort zone. I I've done things in my 16 years of parenthood that I never thought that I would do. <laughs> yes, I believe it. I, yes, I've seen my mom do and my dad, but parents in general, they all, yeah, they go above and beyond. It's amazing. Um, what qualities do you most admire and hope to instill in your children or have already seen those qualities instilled in them and coming through, like you said, your son makes tea for their sister, your sons make tea for their sister, like beautiful things like that. You know, what do you hope to continue to instill in them? I think this idea of, of kindness and that the, the idea of loving another is, is giving yourself for, for the other person. So it's not, and I think that when you're cycle charting, that really helps you to understand that, that I'm not really in this relationship for my own satisfaction. I will, of course, get that when the other person is giving themselves to me, but ultimately your role in a relationship is to give yourself freely to the other person. So really putting their best interests at heart, really learning what they love and loving them with that language. Um, and then being vulnerable so that you can communicate the way that you like to receive love so that if they may not be naturally wired or ordered toward that, they can go outside of themselves to love you in a way that makes you feel very special as well. Um, so I hope that, yeah, I guess my children, as they grow, that they're able to authentically love people that they encounter in life. That's amazing. That's beautiful. I love that so much. Um, well, thank you so much, Melissa. I've really thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. And like I said, could go on for hours with you talking about all, of, all things women's health. But um, if you can please share where everyone can find you, I'll include it in the podcast notes, but any, any specific ways you want, you would like people to get in touch. Great. Yeah. You can go to my website, melissabucken.com. My last name is kind of funny. It's B-U-C-H-A-N. So melissabucken.com. And you can follow me on Instagram at Virtus Fertility Care. Virtus is B-I-R-T-U-S. It means courage. And I do think that women have to step up um, with kind of a courageous attitude when we're looking at leaning into our authentic womanhood and going against kind of sometimes the the easy medical culture. So um, I really feel like every woman that I work with, they are really taking a leap in courage. So Virtus Fertility Care on Instagram or melissabucken.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This was such a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you, Natalie. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Not A Mommy Yet podcast. I hope you enjoyed everything that we discussed. In order to find the links that we mentioned in our conversation, head on over to the podcast notes and make sure to like and subscribe the podcast and Apple Podcasts so you're notified with each new episode. Thank you again for listening and have a beautiful day.